Hello there, and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. I am, as always, your happy, snappy, chappy, and very, very clappy, not in the disease sense, sorry guys, I know that's inappropriate, host, your former unwilling cult insider, your happy dude out here recording in my uh, office, the guy who is gazing upon two struggling spider plants and a giant sewing table pile piled full of things I am way behind on working on, including stockings that need repairing for Christmas, Jared Garrett. That's the longest intro you ever did here in random, rambly, but that is as rambly as I'm going to get today, my friends. This is season two, episode total out of the two seasons, 32. I know I'm not numbering this very well. Who cares? We're here for some stories. That's what you're going to get today, my friends. Uh, as you know, this is the cult insider podcast. It's where I tell stories about growing up in the cult that was the process, the process church of the final judgment, the foundation faith of the millennium, the foundation faith of God. Finally, not a cult, a full-on excellent, uh, doing great work, best friends, animal society organization. Um, it, it evolved and so on and so on. In fact, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. In fact, it's a lot of what I talk about today. Uh, some of these episodes are here for me to just tell stories. Uh, for you curious fun folks out there. It's also for me to get through some things and I'm going to try to get through this without getting too emotional because when I wrote this chapter that I'm going to read to you today, I got pretty emotional. <clears throat> uh, fair warning, my voice went really bad uh, starting about nine days ago. I got a chest cold that uh, held on for a few days and then sort of disappeared and then my voice went kablooey and I got a bad cough and I think I'm okay now. Uh, but I might need to pause every so often in a way that you shouldn't notice. That's right, my friends. You should not notice it. In any case, uh, so the plan today is I'm going to just uh, give you a couple of notes, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to read, and then I'll read it. I'll probably pause halfway through for station identification, and then uh, we'll get back to it and maybe some commentary at the end. Uh, I'm not going to promise a shorter episode. It could be longer. It could be shorter. That's the beauty and the danger of getting involved in this podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. As always, may I remind you that it's fun to review this podcast. It's fun to tell friends about this podcast and to say, hey, a uh, person who I work across a cubicle pit with, you know what? I'm kind of into cults, person. <laughs> Are you into cults by any chance? That's exactly how you should open that conversation. Uh, or maybe you're just getting your Starbucks for the morning and you're like, um, hey, a barista, uh, I'd like a, a, a venti uh, with double, double shot of espresso or some such. I don't drink coffee. I never have. Uh, do you like cults? Because I have this cool podcast I listen to. <laughs> this is, there's no way this could never be, a, like, not awkward. In any case, tell friends at least. Tell enemies. Tell your neighbors. Uh, tell your, uh, your movie producer friend who lives out in uh, L.A. or Hollywood about me in this podcast. Have them listen to it and then... Now, uh, you know, send them my way. You can always reach me at jared at jaredgarrett.com uh, for questions, for um, have me come and talk to your people. I do motivational speaking for and even some productivity workshops for corporations as well. But, you know, for, for the purposes of this, I do these really neat motivational workshops um, and speaking for groups of all sizes, schools, classes, professional groups, uh, community groups, civic groups, all that stuff. Kiwanis, Rotary, you know, you know. Alrighty, so what we're going to do today is, um, oh, also you can click on the support 
uh, URL in your podcast uh, player um, in the description of this podcast if it's there. Not all players have it or apps have it, I think. So what we're going to do today, I am going to read chapter 22 of my memoir. Uh, the memoir itself is called, currently, until a publisher says, mm, too long or something else. Hey, kid, there's nothing wrong with you. I titled it based on a story or based on a song by Big Country, my all-time favorite band. Um, it, I don't know what the song, why, why the song did this to me, but when I heard Stuart Adamson said, sing, Hey, kid, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong. I got teary, and I realized that was really the theme of my whole life, is learning that I didn't have anything wrong with me. So now let's get into my memoir, Chapter 22. It's called The Cult's Life and Death, but not really. This is a weird chapter title designed to hook you, but it's also an accurate depiction of what I'm about to describe. I have gone over the cult's birth and evolution, but there's more to the story that has a bearing on why I had to write this story. So, the cult started as a weird splinter off of Scientology with some unusual views on gods and Satan mixed in, and using practices and a bizarre machine to help people get in tune with their traumas and buried experiences so they could find the truth within and so on and so forth. They moved a lot, opened coffee houses, like in New Orleans, published strange magazines, rescued dogs a lot, and sent folks out in big heavy cloaks to collect money from the general public. This was the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Then. It was the Process Church of the Second Coming. After a while, there was a schism, and Marianne and her husband, Robert, broke up. This schism happened in the month of my birth, in 1974, and it was probably due to rampant infidelity on Robert's part. Marianne stuck with the main group, and they formed the Foundation Faith of God, with Marianne being a capricious leader who was obsessed with finding legitimacy through associating her cult-slash-commune with celebrities. They tried to recruit Allen Ginsberg, of all people. The Foundation made some funky symbols, established a sort of Christian doctrine, and had their own hymn book. We all greeted each other with, God bless you, and adults would pair off only with Marianne's blessing. The Foundation morphed and moved until it finally established permanent branches in Dallas, Las Vegas, and Denver, with the headquarters moving from Faith Canyon, which was in Arizona, to Angel Canyon, which is in southern Utah, <clears throat> which is act. This is a, si a sidebar, which is actually where Best Friends is currently located. It used to be called Kanab Canyon. Fundraising efforts were the focus of the daily commune practice for the adults, going to busy public places and soliciting money for the animal rescue cause was the mandate. This went weirdly well, evidenced by how big of a ranch they bought in southern Utah. When they moved to Angel Canyon, which they named, which they named, the people of Kanab were concerned. These were weird hippie-like cultists with a lot of animals, and many of them had rifles in the back of their jeeps. Kanab residents were leery, and lots of rumors abounded. Plenty of townspeople learned that the cultists were generally nice and good, having to do business with them a lot. There were also not positive things that happened, but this is not an expose. I'll just say that the founders of the foundation, and by extension best friends, are doing a generally good thing right now, and they've been happy to do whatever it takes to do what they want in that town and in that canyon. The Dallas branch became the source of the steadiest and most substantial income. 
which is also where the kids were, by the way, sidebar again. At the same time, Best Friends had been publishing a magazine and collecting membership donations via their website. My brother, Matthias, was involved in that work for a while before he moved on to higher education. Money had been a problem for a long time, but the funding efforts by the branches, combined with the magazine subscriptions and large donations from organizations, were helping Best Friends become more stable. Meanwhile, Marianne was sending the most charming, articulate, and attractive founders to Los Angeles to hobnob with celebrities and start bringing in other donations and raising visibility. They were decidedly not publishing the fact that Best Friends was the charitable organization being run by a long-lasting cult-slash-commune that originally splintered off of Scientology, which makes sense. By the time I launched my plan to leave the foundation via being banished to Faith Canyon, haha, Spoiler, guys. Unbeknownst to me, things were ailing. Many of the adults were getting very angry and felt like their concerns were not being listened to. They had joined, in some cases decades ago, excuse me, decades ago, and in some cases only a year or two ago, because they had found a cause they believed in and a spiritual home. But many of them were being treated like slaves, and the spiritual nourishment they sought was nowhere to be found. This was happening all over, including in Best Friends, although most of the folks working there were pretty happy. They got to work with animals all day, or do work that was immediately and obviously meaningful, so there was, set, so there was satisfaction there. The walkout and branch closers happened, as I've mentioned, which was in, earlier in the book, while I was in Faith Canyon. Magdalene, surprisingly to me, was sent with John, the man she'd been married to years before, to Dallas to shut things down. I had the unfortunate occasion to cross paths with Lucia a few years later and heard from her that Magdalene and John had been quite forceful in the way things were closed and shuttered. I'd only seen Magdalene as a sweet hippie with a very occasional temper, so this didn't add up to me. I still don't know what really happened. What did happen was that a few weeks after I started at Kanab High, I heard that my boxes were up at Best Friends in the Steel Warehouse and that my bike might be there too. Enoch and I, my dad, went up that weekend and got my things. My bike was not there. I made sure to bug people until it showed up a couple weeks later. I have no idea why it disappeared in transit, but all was well that ended well. I returned to best friends on an almost weekly basis to spend time with Magdalene and to see my peers who had stayed. I participated in those Sunday rituals. But then, sometime after I was blacklisted due to my speech, which I'm not sure I got to, but I think I did, I heard that best friends had officially dropped all cult activities. The foundation was legally and technically closed down, which probably required only a little paperwork and a general announcement. Quick sidebar. Not true. Not true at all. Uh, this will be a fun story for you guys to hear. Um, my wife, my dear Anne Marie, worked with the judge who threatened, not threatened, excuse me, who uh, helped them go legally. Not I don't know why I said threatened. That's uh, because it's the next one of the next words. Who helped... Uh, that process happened. It's pretty cool, but he was an attorney at the time. Pretty fun. Emerging from the closure was Best Friends Animal Sanctuary, a totally non-threatening and non-weird animal rescue organization that was doing its best to stop euthanasia, pets, and animal shelters the country over. A noble cause. According to the Best Friends official story, it was started by a group of like-minded young adults in the 60s. They formed a group of animal rights activists who wanted to make the world a better place for dogs, cats, and any other animal that was being mistreated. The official story describes their moving around some of the more colorful, colorful but innocuous things they did as a cult and moves very quickly to the founding of Best Friends, which is now called Best Friends Animal Society. 
presumably so it can be seen as a more inclusive and wide organization. The official story also says that Best Friends was founded in 1984, which is an accurate statement in that 1984 is the year they acquired the land now called Angel Canyon. The rest of the, quote, history of Best Friends, unquote, that they have published is accurate for a value of, quote, accurate, or scare quotes accurate. I'm not going to unpack everything in their official story here, except two things to finish off this brief chapter. Two powerfully telling things that, even though I am at peace now about my life, piss me right off today. First, there's a precious scene painted of Judah Batista, Francis Batista's son, and one of my peers living in a shed while the cat's area was being built. Now, I've talked about this before. The story says, quote, <clears throat> 17-year-old Judah Batista, Francis's son, worked with Diana Asher to care for the cats. He slept in a shed at night while construction of the facilities was underway, unquote. Why this needs unpacking. Number one, Judah grew up with a different last name. He only found out Francis was his father in his late teens or early 20s. I've talked about this before. Number two, Judah might have slept in a shed, but he also slept in a tent city two summers in a row with the rest of us kids. The rest of the time, he lived with the rest of us kids in the Dallas branch at Dixie. Number three, a bunch of the kids helped build the facilities. A bunch of us slept in tents for two months while building and digging and more for many summers. Not only Judah. Much of this you already know, guys. But Judah back to the chapter, stuck with best friends and is doing great work. He knows his calling and seems very happy. I'm delighted that he is happy with his life and choices. This is why he's in the story, because it adds color and texture. Otherwise, it's utter BS. And that leads to the thing that makes me livid still, and I need to meditate this out of me. The official story of best friends talks about the founders in terms of their being these guru-level rock stars. It idealizes their work in history and paints everything in a sepia-toned shade of total crap. Nowhere does it mention that they had 30-plus kids. All the work we did for them, all the pipe we buried, all the actual dog and cat crap that we cleaned out, all the times we were bitten by emotionally traumatized dogs, all the drywall we hung, all the roofing we did, all the plumbing and more, totally whitewashed out of the story, deliberately overlooked, just like the rest of our lives. Don't get me wrong, Best Friends is a famous and legitimate corporation that has to manage its image, and there just isn't time or space to include all the details of their actual history. But having a bunch of kids through partner swapping, rearing them in an environment of abuse and hard labor and near total lack of love and nurture, and I'll add neglect, that's kind of an important detail. It is not nice to spend your life overlooked and see that the people who made your life terrible never learned their lesson or even acknowledge that what they did to a bunch of kids could possibly be not ideal. We are not even worth mentioning. I have a message for the Best Friends founders. I lie to myself and say I don't need you to publicly or even privately to me and the other kids acknowledge that you gave birth to and raised us in a terrible environment. I tell myself I don't need to hear you say you shouldn't have given over care of all the kids to a sociopath in Dallas. The truth is that I do need to hear that on a deep level. It might finally fill in one of those blank spots on a page somewhere in this book that is my life. But I am writing the words now. All caps, I am writing the words now. And that little blankness recedes and shrinks with each new word of family and grace and love I add to my life. So it will be fine when you do not acknowledge this. In the continued vein of message for you, why, quote, founders, 
Do you insist on acting like we don't exist? Why even now, when I show up for a visit every so often, can you not meet my gaze? Why can't you look me in the eyes? Why can't you face the utter garbage you made me and the other kids you essentially orphaned go through? Yes, you orphaned us. For most of us, our parents were still alive, but you stupidly demanded that kids be separated from parents and not have the love and nurture that not only do children need, but are fundamentally entitled to. Now I have to pause for station identification. Thank you for listening to my station identification and sponsor. It is because of you that I score eight on the ACE or ACE psychology test. That's the adverse childhood experience test. I score eight out of 10 because of you and the absolute and utter dismissal of us kids. You will never acknowledge that. And all things considered, I made my own mistakes. I own them, and I own every careful, deliberate decision I made to fall, roll, and run far from the tree that I came from. The flesh and spirit and heart you gave me was clay, and it was ugly and sad and alone, but I have shaped it with each conscious choice to turn from anger to love and hope. I have shaped it. You gave me this clay, you made it lonely and angry and powerless, but I took the power. I took the power for myself and I have shaped it now. I have shaped myself and I have found the path I would follow in life, embracing the good from my childhood in your terrible commune, taking the work ethic, the ability to build and fix, and empathy, and the beautiful times with each other, and the love golems that are dogs, and using them to shape myself into what I am today. I am self-made. I acknowledge part of me has the hue of the foundation and best friends, and I see those hues and tints and shapes, and I am happy with them, because I have decided to be, despite your shameful mistreatment of me and my sisters and brothers. But, as usual, you will live in your carefully fabricated world, imagining you are separate and better, and all that you did was right and good and for the cause. You will continue to gripe about this or that and not see that you are this and that, just like the rest of us. Meanwhile, you can walk past the sagebrush that I hid piles of dog crap under in Dogtown. And you can keep drinking water that I helped get to your sinks. And you can flush toilets whose plumbing I helped install. That's my legacy with you. You flush your crap down a pipe I put in. And that is the end of chapter 22, The Cult's Life and Death, but not really. So, I wanted to share this one with you because it kind of encapsulates a lot of what I've talked about today up, up till now. It ha I alluded to a few things about the way I got out, um, and I use the word escape uh, liberally and maybe a little more than I should, but I think that it's an appropriate word sometimes um, because it really felt like an escape for me in many ways. Um, so in any case, uh, I wanted to share this particular chap uh, chapter with you because Number one, you should be able to understand almost all the details in it. Number two, I'm actually a lot better than I was when I wrote this. I'm glad that the chapter's there and it's going to stay in there because it needs... Writing the chapter was in itself part of the story. It's part of my memoir. It's part of my life story, right? It's part of me becoming who I am and it was very therapeutic. I'm going to share something a little, I don't know, personal and vulnerable with you guys. When I wrote, was writing this chapter, when I was writing those lines about, you gave me this clay, 
You made it lonely and angry and, and angry and powerless. I started to shake as I was writing this stuff. But then I said, I took the power. I took the power for myself and I have shaped it now. I had to close the door to my office and I had to weep for a little while. And then I got back, put my fingers on the keyboards, and I wrote the rest of that. I have shaped myself and have found the path I would follow in life, embracing the good from my childhood and your terrible commune, and so on and so on. It was so helpful and healing and deeply therapeutic for me to write this stuff. I should have known all along, all along, that the writing of this story was going to be very powerful for me because writing is this power for me. Um... Enri, my dear, wise, wonderful wife, um, who has stuck with me through some of these harder parts, <coughs> excuse me, of my life, um, was saying all along that I really should just write it because it would really be helpful. And I thought I was past stuff, but I, I'm very good at deluding myself. Um, luckily, after I realize I'm deluding myself, I'm happy and willing to acknowledge it pretty openly. So... I'm grateful that I wrote this and I'm grateful that it became a part of my, my own story uh, as I try to become a more healthy and vulnerable um, person who, uh, who's, who's a loving and very intimately um, close to my dear wife, my best friend, and my kids. I'm very grateful uh, for her, um, I don't know, what's the word, her, her encouragement for that, and I'm very grateful I wrote this. Um, and yes, it still sounds angry and it needs to sound angry. That angry, that anger is the story that needed to be told. And it was great to excise that anger from my heart and my soul. Now I can read it with a little more entertainment. When I was writing it, I was seething. I was shaking with the emotion. I was, like I said, weeping. And so, um, <clears throat> that, I wanted to share this with you so that you could see just how important even today um, many years after I left, you know, healing is how, how there are still healing opportunities for me and how there are still growth opportunities for me, improvement opportunities, you know, the growth mindset. You know, if I do some math today is I'm recording this November 25th, 2019. Um, <clears throat> it'll be published tonight and you'll listen to it probably for eons, you know, in a thousand years from now, people will be listening to this. Oh yeah, you know it. Uh, your kids, 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 great, great, kids, and so on. We'll be listening to it. Um, if I count backwards, you know, I, I got out of the cult in August of 1991. So we're talking about 28 years ago. I've been out for 28 years and I'm still finding heal op healing opportunities and growth, growth opportunities, learning opportunities and forgiveness opportunities. What a wonderful world and life this is. That we can be always getting better. That we can be always... <clears throat> Finding new areas to grow and to heal. Um, new ways to let love into our lives and release anger. Boy, it's wonderful to release anger, I tell you. Uh, years ago, I used to write out of anger. I wanted to tell angry, powerful, you know, stories. And then I decided that was not good for me after some time. And I started writing out of love. And I even told Anne-Marie that. I'm gonna, I want to write out of love now. And that really changed my stories. It changed them into... Uh, stories with a lot more heart and a lot more um, just characters that I think that people can identify with. In any case, that is pretty much it for today. Uh, I'm not going to wax too philosophical about this chapter. If you want to hear another chapter or two, you let me know. I've got one more chapter planned for the for, for this. I've got a couple of um, 
let, let me give you what I've got um, <clears throat> left for this for this whole podcast. Uh, the next some of the next episodes or the next episodes that are the rest of the season are I will tell uh, the story. I will tell some of the good stuff that happened in 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 the cult. Um, some of the good things that we enjoyed that were that I enjoyed particularly. Um, I'll talk about something called the children's ministry. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. I've got another chapter of the book. <clears throat> I will talk about uh, the promenade um, and what that means. I'll talk about my actual escape. I'll talk about what life was like immediately after, although I've already talked a little bit about my friends and stuff, which is good. Um, I will also tell a couple of stories about coming out of the, you know, later in life. I'll tell the story of how I met my wife. How, I'm going to write it right now, actually, so don't forget how I met uh, their mother, is what I'll call it. Yeah, I'm writing that now. Um, in any case, I'm going to try to get to about 40 total episodes. So let me know if you have any questions. Maybe we can uh, have one episode be just a bunch of questions. Let me know if you want to hear another chapter, like a third chapter, because I've got another one planned. Um, in any case, thanks for listening, my friends. Uh, we're going to end short today. I hope that's all right with you guys. Uh, remember, tell your friends, review the podcast, share it with your friends. Um, uh, email me with questions, email me with comments, email me with um, the cult that you're starting, and I will dissuade you from starting a cult. Uh, until next time, my friends, stay happy and stay close to your loved ones.